So friends, we are looking at our next preaching series, which is about going from tribe to nation. And this sermon series, I'm, I was really looking forward to bringing to you because we've got a lot of people from different tribes here in the church today, don't we? We really do. We have some people who have come from the Baptist churches, some who have come from Presbyterian churches, some who have come from Pentecostal churches. And these are all different tribes in the life of our Christian unity and expression. But we have one thing in common, and that thing is Jesus Christ. And that is the thing that we really need to come together and understand what that means for us as the people of God here at Pimpama. I am not suggesting that we leave behind the, our tribe and who we were, but instead that we embrace where God is taking us to in this next iteration of what it is that he wants to do here in this place. Now, Israel had a very similar situation, didn't they? There were these families who were in Egypt that were brought together and they journeyed through the desert and that journey, wilderness testing time, was what began to galvanize them together as a single people. But when they arrived in the Promised Land, they didn't gather together, they weren't uh, working together, they were divided up into their different tribes, weren't they? And they, they divvied up all of the land and they, they drew borders and parameters and said, from this river to this hill, this is my land, and from that mountain to that creek, that is your land, and we won't cross each other's borders and we'll leave each other alone. Now, I think, I think in the Christian church, we've been doing a lot of that for a long time. Most recently, I've come to you from Southside, where I was part of four churches that had amalgamated. And talking with the members there, I found out that the reason why there were four churches relatively close together was because people needed to walk to church of a Sunday morning. Can you imagine that? What a... What an amazing notion. I know that Charlotte walks to church on a Sunday morning from time to time. <laughs> You're blessed, darling. You're blessed. <laughs> but the rest of us have to get in our car and spend fuel and, and be able to be able to get down here. But once upon a time, these churches were laid out in the system so that people could walk to the church. And that's what separated them. It wasn't the tribe. It was the distance from where they lived, which meant that if you wanted to go to a certain church, you moved to be close to that church. And in fact, one of our elders was a Presbyterian Scottish migrant who had her letter of reference from the church, the very church she was still an elder at some 50 years later, <laughs> from when she migrated, framed and in her living room as a reminder that that was why God had brought her to that place. We have all been called here, friends. Like Samuel, you've come here for various reasons. I'm sure some of them are very, very interesting. Some of us have come here because of pain and hurt in our past, and we've discovered in this place a place of welcome and embracing. But we need to go to the next step. Israel had to drop the tribal system so that it just became a case of where they came from, which land and which territory, but they had to work together. They had to galvanize as a singular people. They had to become a nation under God. And friends, that is what God is calling for this congregation right now and for us 
Because when we do that, we can do so much more. We're going to be able to work together for, to see God's will being done in this place and beyond. And that's what this next three weeks are going to be about. So I'm very, very happy to be able to go on this next journey of discipleship with you. I invite you, therefore, to bow your heads with me and let us commit this time to the Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can open your word together. We can be led by it. So speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nelly, can I just get you to go down the back? I feel like I'm very loud and I'm just, I'm modifying my speech a little bit so I'm not cutting out too sharp. Thank you. So in 1 Samuel, we find the beginning of this narrative. Now, what's really important for us to understand is that Samuel is happening right after the judges. And the judges situation is one where these different tribal groups are then trying to um, follow God's guidance. And God keeps raising up these men and women. Deborah was a judge to come along and judge Israel, to guide Israel, to lend their wisdom and leadership. Mele, can I get you to stay there? It's now seeming a little bit too soft, so I'm going to get you to stay over there. And so what happens is that at one point, Eli is judging Israel, and Eli is the high priest. And he is coming along, and he's got his whole family, and they're there, and they're the descendants of Aaron. So there's a bit of nepotism going on. But that's all right because everybody thought this is the high priest. He is a godly man. He's going to lead us right. But what they didn't account for was his son. Much better. Thank you. His sons were doing the wrong thing. Now, a man of God came to Eli, 1 Samuel 2.27. And he said, he said to him, this is what the Lord says. I, did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? So he's saying that God showed Aaron the way. But yet in verse 29, he says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? So something was happening there where this this government that had been put in place was becoming corrupt and they were taking things for themselves. Now we see this. It is human nature. We see it in every culture, in every community, where power can cause people to become corrupted. Now, God's response to this was not to come down and and strike everyone down and start all over again. It was instead to correct, to bring back righteousness, to bring back the way of the Lord. And one of the ways he wants to do this is through Samuel. Now, Samuel at this stage is a little boy. He's a little boy who happens to be in the temple. And our reading tells us that he was even sleeping there. That was his bedroom. Can you imagine that? Sleeping in the presence of God. The notion seems amazing to us, but that's what happened. And he was there and he was sleeping under the candelabra of the Lord. The light of God was there and he slept under that light. I wonder, this isn't a great theological insight, this is more a fatherly insight. Do you think the little boy Samuel was afraid of the dark? Do you think that's why Eli put him there to sleep? Because the the candelabra had a certain amount of oil prescribed under the law of Moses 
And that oil would, would cause it to extinguish of its own accord. And as a result, it was saying that the, the light would only go out when God willed it to go out. And so it was almost like as if this little boy Samuel, who had been dedicated by his mother Hannah to God, was now almost like God's ward, God's adopted little boy in God's house, sleeping with God's own nightlight. Isn't that beautiful? What a contrast. Eli and his rotten sons, who were corrupt and abusing the power that they had, and Samuel, here, this little child who had been dedicated to God, literally sleeping under God's nightlight. Friends, which do you want to be? Do you want to have the power and say and privilege and right? Or do you want to be under the hand of God right there? Because this is part of the journey that God is taking us on as individuals, yes, but also as a community. I've said it before and I will say it again. I believe this community is to bring the light of Christ into every dark place all around us, in our families, in our workplace. And as Barry was mentioning earlier, youth crime and youth justice is an ongoing issue in our community, in our society, right here in Pimpama. There are many, many issues. I'm sure you can think of them right now. I'm not going to go into them. But where the light of Christ is needed, not just to illuminate the problem so that we can do something about it, but also to bring the, to light solutions. Are you with me, church? In the Uniting Church, in this movement we call the Uniting Church, we use what's called a collaborative system of discernment. That means if I come up with an idea, that's great, that's wonderful. But I've actually got to go to the church council and they are the ones who then affirm that idea in their discernment before we go forwards. This is why we have committees and committees and committees and committees and committees. Unfortunately, it means that sometimes business gets a little bit bogged down. But what I like about it is the fact that I get to hear your voice. You get to hear my voice and together we go out and we do that work. It also means that in this movement, I, as your minister, am not wholly responsible for what is happening. Instead, I say that we collectively listen to the voice of God and follow Christ. Now, what am I responsible for? I'm responsible for making sure that I get some folks from over here, talking to some folks from over here, with some experiences from over there, with some abilities from over there, and that I involve women, children, cowed, younger, older, and that that group discerns and listens for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I have to make sure that I'm not only facilitating for that, but I'm teaching you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? This is what it means to be the nation of God moving forwards into the space. And so I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew today. This word, Shemuel, it is two words and it actually means something all the names in the bible mean something did you know that it's great because that meaning is something that we can then pick up and go that says something about that person's character and the name shemuel comes from two words shama and called by god this is really crucial for us to understand 
Hannah gave her son this name because she knew when she cried out to the Lord and Eli, Eli, the governor, the high priest, he saw her. He didn't think that she was crying out to the Lord. He thought she was drunk. (laughs) He thought she was off her face and completely going nuts at the doors of the temple. And it was only when she said to him, no, I am pleading before the Lord that he blessed her. And when he blessed her, she realized something. My prayers for this child are that this child will be given back to the Lord and would be a blessing. This child would go on to change the face of Israel. This child would be instrumental as one of the great prophets of Scripture. In our Bible study, we tackled this question. So she brings the child to the temple. You'd think naturally he's going to be trained as a priest. Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. He's not of the right tribe. Are you getting where I'm coming from here, people? Clearly Samuel had unction. Clearly Samuel was doing the right thing. Clearly Samuel had been dedicated for a purpose and a season. But he wasn't of the right tribe. No, no, no. He's not of the right stripes. We can't let him do that job. So automatically he was discounted from that office and that privilege. But isn't that a great thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because we saw what that office and that privilege did, didn't we? We saw what that nepotism translated into. Those guys, Eli's sons, they felt completely at ease with the evil that they were doing because it was part of their office and no one could question them on it. And it wasn't until the man of the Lord came and actually said to their father, Eli, not only will you be punished, but all of Israel for your son's sins. That suddenly people went, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe we shouldn't have let them get away with everything that they were doing. This is the same kind of accountability that I believe God is calling the whole Christian church to. Where I am accountable to you, you are accountable to me, we are accountable to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. For the ultimate authority is not me, it's not people at head office, it's not the priests and the ministers who have been doing this ministry for years and years, decades even. It is Christ, the same Christ who speaks to you, who speaks to me, led through the Holy Spirit, we work together. To that end. And that's a little bit of what was going on there. So his name is El, And this word Shama is really interesting in scripture. 785 times it is translated as here. Here. Now my translation before didn't say heard of God. It said called by God. Because although it means, it's often used as to mean here. It is also about the response to be to hearing you being called. <laughs> I was trying to find another word uh, there. So 81 times it means obey. 81 times. One of the great passages that I love is where uh, it says in Proverbs, the one, the one who hears and understands in their heart truly obeys. The word hear is different. The word understand is different. The word obey is shema. And yet traditional translators would have used different words for this because 
It's talking about hearing. So some translations, and I did look at our Latin and Vulgate Bibles, actually say the one who is called, the one who understands, hears. Are you with me? Why is this important? Friends, is God speaking to you today? Is God speaking to you in your life in general? See, sometimes he's there and he's talking, but we can't hear. And because we can't hear, we cannot obey. It is so important that we are able to stop and still the things in the world around us that are distracting. So that we can even begin to make out the sound of the voice of God. There are 33 instances in Scripture where we do not know what the exact word is meant to represent. We don't know. We take other translations. We assume that they are correct. But we don't know. See, this is an ancient language. This is the language that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in. And in many of these instances, they were using words in ways which we didn't understand. You can even track it. You can see that Shammah is used as here in Exodus, in Genesis, in Deuteronomy. And then it begins to change. And it turns into obedience. And it turns into calling. And it turns into summoning. And it turns into response. This is why I wanted to highlight this word for you today, not because I wanted to show you some funny characters on the TV. I wanted to tell you that when we go from tribe to nation, we don't just hear, we obey. It is not just a sound that is clanging, that is going, hey, 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 look at this. What are you going to do about it? We actually have an opportunity to respond. And the change in that meaning, small as it may be, was significant in the transition from the tribes of Israel to the nation of Israel. A people who began to listen and obey. The Christian journey is fraught with all sorts of pitfalls. We are tempted by the world at large. We are often led astray by our own minds. We have teachers of all different stripes and tribes and theologies and it's so easy to get confused or to throw your hands up in the air and say you know what that's it (laughs) i'm done i've spent enough time dealing with this stuff but we have to remember that who we are listening to is not the preacher is not the teacher it's not the youtube video or the podcast it's god and that you can pick up your bible And allow the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Friends, there is no greater tool in our Christian toolbox than the tool of Bible study and revelation. If we open our Bibles, God will speak to us. Amen. In Judges, we see one of these instances and I'm using the ESV translation for this verse so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he said because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed Shema see this is what I mean it changed 
they've not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. In our last sermon series, I talked briefly about the word for sin in Scripture. It means to miss the mark. It's like when someone's taking aim with a bow and arrow and they've pointed it right there. But when they released, something happened and that moved aside. Now, if if you've ever done any kind of marksmanship training or if you've seen that on TV or whatever, you'd know that you expect to miss the first time. No one person is such a skilled marksman that they can pick up any, any projectile, any weapon, and, and straight away, boom, hit the bullseye the first time. They actually need to calibrate. Are you with me, church? Calibrating. We need to calibrate to the way of the Lord. This is what he said in some of the judges. This is why he was preparing Israel to go forward and become this nation. And why, ultimately, it was so that Christ would come. So that he would bring for the whole world the reality that Christ would bring about that one and first opportunity to not miss the mark. In Samuel 3, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which the two years of everyone who hears Shema, it will tingle. And on that day I will fulfill against Eli. All that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. And the iniquity that he knew because his son were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. They wandered from the path that God had set for them. And they missed the mark. So God was going to do something new and something unique with them. Jesus taught in parables, did he not? And often when he did, he said... Let the ones who have ears hear. He was speaking this language. And he said the same thing. That was code. So that they would understand and so that we would understand. Friends, to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the voice of God is a blessing. But it means that we need to recalibrate. It means we need to look at our path and go, is this the right path for me, Lord? Or am I supposed to come over here? There was this big word that a lot of us learned during COVID in churches. And that was pivot. Everybody was talking about pivoting because we couldn't meet in congregations. So all of us became cameramen and YouTube editors. We had to pivot. We had to change. We had to recalibrate. And today, our Brazilian service has an average of 160 people who view it online every week. And today, larger churches, it is just assumed that they are going to have online services and online streaming. And this week, one of our most significant meetings in the life of our church, talking about how we're going to meet together and gather pretty much for the first time since COVID as a large singular entity in Queensland was done over Zoom, (laughs) not face to face. But it meant that representatives from Cairns and from Atherton were able to be together in the same room (laughs) and plan and talk, but above all else, discern and hear the voice of the Lord. 
In Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about obedience. Not the kind of obedience that we often instruct our kids with, but the kind of obedience that I know God is speaking to us today as a church. The obedience that sometimes hurts. Thank you. Paul says, as one man's sin brought about the condemnation and punishment of all people, so one man's act of righteousness makes all of us right with God and brings us to new life. Just as through one man's divine disobedience, every one of us were made sinners, so through the willing obedience of the one man, many of us will be made right. Friends, if we are called to be a nation, not a nation of Australians, a nation of uniting church people, a nation of Baptists, former Baptists, reformed Baptists, a nation of Presbyterians, Scottish Presbyterians, non-Scottish Presbyterians, American Presbyterians, Brazilian Presbyterians, dare I say. If we're called to be the nation of God here at Pimpama, then I want our first step as that nation to be in obedience. I want for that first step as a nation, that thing that unites us and galvanizes us, to be a recalibration from a life where we lived for ourselves, for this place, and where we looked and we said, there's a lot of need out in this community. And so we instead recalibrate and focus on Christ. We instead are led by Him in the things we do, in the things we say, in the way we present ourselves to the wider community. Because one man's sin brought condemnation and punishment. That was Adam. But another man's sin, another man's obedience, my apologies, has restored us to be the children of God. So let us walk forward in pride and knowledge that we can hear his voice and respond. Let us pray. Father, I praise you for your Holy Spirit. Continue to speak to us, I pray. Lead us and guide us by your will. Let us be instruments of your love and let us pour out of all who we are and all that we do in obedience to you. Galvanize us, forge us together. For Lord, we are different animals and we're different metals and need to come together to be made stronger, to be made sharp for your will, for your work. So we thank you for this moment which we've shared in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.